This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and this is a very special episode of IRCB because I'm not joined by any of the regular folks on our show. Instead, I'm joined by two very special guests, Eric Resniak. Hello, how are you? I'm I'm fantastic. Thank you for asking. No one ever asks me that. That I thank you so much for that. So I appreciate rude. it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also joined by Kevin Dillon. Hey there. Happy Sunday. Thank you both for joining me on the show this week. I'm very excited to talk to both of you because we're here to talk about comic books and we're specifically here to talk about X-Men comics. But before we get into all of that, I need to know a little bit about the both of you. For the people at home who are listening, Eric, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? And then Kevin, you know, feel free to jump in once Eric's wrapped sure. up. Sure. Sure. So Hi, um, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm excited to do this. I am a lifelong comic book fan. I started reading God in the 1980s because I'm old. And uh, my first comic book I remember getting, we were on a cross-country trip and um, my parents were trying to shut my brothers and I up. So we would stop at like gas stations and they would buy us comic books. And right, remember right. the Secret Wars issue where like the Hulk is holding the mountain on the cover and all the heroes are trapped underneath it? That's my first ever comic book reading. So we're oh, talking wow. like 84, 85. Um, specifically, we're talking about X-Men. I My first issue of X-Men was 228, the issue after they all died in Fall of the Mutants. <laughs> I had no idea what was happening. Right. Was like, this sucks. And then we came back to it a couple years later, right when Inferno started, which I also had no idea what was happening, but I fucking mm-hmm. loved it. So that mm-hmm. I've read X-Men pretty much consistently all the way up since then. So we're talking Ooh. about almost four decades of, of, of X-Men knowledge. Um, beyond that, I'm in fundraising currently for my day job. I'm a former journalist. I actually interned at Marvel Comics in the 1990s. And I am the host of the pop, great pop culture debate podcast of which your host, Mike and uh, Kevin are our panelists. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a lot of questions about how you continued to read X-Men through the 90s and into the 2000s, but we'll get into that in the second half of the episode. Kevin, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, so I'm Kevin Dillon. I have read comics uh, probably since like 1990, similar to Eric. Um, instead of a gas station, um, we used to go to this video store called Coulson's in Albany. Um, it was like a convenience store, video rental store, all in one like small thing. And they always had a rack of magazines and a pretty solid comic selection. So uh, I would always rent a movie. We'd always rent we'd rent either the Muppets or I'll, actually we'd rotate different Muppets things that we'd rent. And then I'd buy some comics. And I used to buy a lot of like Scooby-Doo and um, more cartoon-like comics. And then... I was a big Batman reader for a really long time. I have two Batman tattoos, so that um, is probably not surprising to the folks who know me. Um, And then I would say my fall into the... I've also read the X-Men since really around that time, too. I probably started around like 1992, 93. I would say probably my first comic that I remember buying or that really caught my attention was X-Men number one which I think is still the highest oh, wow. selling comic of all time with the multiple yeah, covers. Yeah. The multiple covers. Yeah. yeah. So I had every single cover. Um, I was very into that and I was like, okay, let me deep dive into this. It was also kind of around the time the cartoon was starting and like really connected. And so fun fact, I have every single issue of uncanny X-Men since like now I bought beyond this, but since like 1987, um, Holy smoke. Where do you store it? it? 
Ooh. Let me tell you, moving is not fun, and I just moved, so it has. It was a trek and a journey, but they. I have them all still, um, and I refuse to get rid of them. Um, uh, it's been. There's been some highs and some lows. Honestly, some real lows. Um, but uh, I have read X Men ever since then, and really have tried to stay up to date. There was a period where I wasn't mm-hmm. really reading comics in general, so like catching up on some of that, but. Um, always been a huge 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 x-man fan and x-men fan and um excited to jump into the conversation around all of this what's going on with x-men right now yeah then today we're going to be talking about hawks pox and and beyond but before we get into any of that i have to it is a lawfully mandated thing now on this show i have to ask two questions which is how have you been and how have comic books been so eric what have you been reading how have you been uh, I've been great. Thanks. You know, we're hashtag thriving in, in our quarantine apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, mostly I've been working on our podcast and that's been mm-hmm. a lot of, it's been a lot of fun and a great joy. We just launched season two, like two weeks ago. That's been a lot of my time, but I love doing it. It's, it's such a fun thing to do during this period. If you enjoy listening to um, people who are fairly entertaining, moderately intelligent. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I love all our panelists. Um, <laughs> Argue and insult each other over things like the best Disney movies or what fast food changes are better. Um, please check us out at greatpopculturedebate.com. Sorry for that uh, incredibly ham-fisted plug. In no. terms of – that's okay? You, you enjoy yeah, the ham Absolutely fine. We don't have shameless pl- – or we don't have shameful plugs on this show. It's just plugs. You know, be proud of the shit that you do. The end. Fantastic. I love that because, you know, I had my shame surgically removed sometime <laughs> in the mid-90s. <laughs> Um, in terms of what I'm reading currently with comics. So like Kevin, I had a period where I, I stopped cold Turkey. Mm-hmm. There was a while up through the, like maybe 2010s where I was dropping 40 to $60 a week on yeah. comics. Every oh week. yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, I was, uh, dealing with student loan issues and I was like, you know what, how about we not do this anymore? Oh. And I, I quit cold Turkey. And since then I've gone strictly digital, uh, strictly digi. And mm-hmm. I regret that not at all. And so, I now I'm reading primarily the X books. Hawks Pox bought me back in. I, I would start in stits, fits and starts for the past, like, I don't know, 10 years, and mm-hmm. they would always lose me, but I'm very much intrigued by what they're doing now. Beyond that, what I'm reading for, so for this current week, I re- read the new X issues of Excalibur. I read X-Men 12. I read all the X books that came out this week. Uh, am I supposed to go over my thoughts on those now? Mr. Yeah, Producer? if you want. Yeah, yeah, please. Sure. I mean, so, really quick, I guess just of those issues, unless you want to save the discussion for the second half of the show, that's totally fine. No, I'm fine talking about both of them right now because I think they're essential. Um, Excalibur of all the uh, Dawn of X relaunches, I think is like the second weakest after Fallen Angels, which has already been canceled. I think mm-hmm. Excalibur is a goddamn mess. Oh. Um, and <laughs> I stopped I stopped buying it after oh. like issue eight, but I came back for this one because it's clearly, and it very much is, integral to the ten of swords crossover that's coming if you you did drop excalibur i understand why yeah you have to read it for this for i think the crossover to make sense especially yeah, x-men 12 which yeah. it directly leads into that so um excalibur continues to be a mess it, it is a is a mess of a book and i hope we just like kind of disentangle that in the second half x-men 12 i thought was really good despite the fact that no actual X, x-men appear in it um and <laughs> it's a very yeah. complicated dense issue which none of it really is you're just like the fuck is going on right now but i felt like it gave me enough kind of signal posts so that i have a general concept of where we're going in Mm -hmm. this sprawling crossover that's coming do i love it 
Uh, no, but I don't dislike it either. I'm intrigued. I'll say that. Right. So okay, that's where I'm coming from. Interesting, interesting. I I have a lot of thoughts on X Men Twelve that I will bring up in in the second half of the show because having just reread House of X and Powers of Powers of Ten, yeah. um, th- there's a lot of interesting like connection so anyways kevin kevin what about you how have you been how have, have comic books been what have you been, I've reading? been okay so i am currently this is like i guess a de- i'm currently unemployed so i am on the job hunt still which has been challenging but i've been like mm-hmm. keeping myself busy doing other things like and i didn't share this earlier but i, I actually freelance with an entertainment website called awards daily um, and I write for primarily for their TV site. So today's actually a big day. The Emmys are Emmys mm-hmm. are tonight. They're doing them on Zoom, um, which will be oh interesting. Interesting. Um, they've been doing the Creative Arts Emmys on Zoom all week, and you can what they it looks like they essentially did was they asked every nominee to pre-tape their speech if they won. Um, and and so okay. as the winners get announced, you'll see a speech of a winner. Um, they actually did a really good job. I have to give them credit for the, being in this climate and like during COVID and like actually carrying through and rewarding folks. And, um, you know, I, I actually have hope and faith that the Emmys will go really well. They're on ABC tonight. So tune in. Um, yeah. I mean, this episode will be out on Wednesday. Oh, so unfortunately they'll have already oh, aired. That's true. Hello. Duh. This is what happens to me when Sunday my brain and my coffee haven't kicked in. Um, <laughs> but I'm really excited to do that's been keeping me busy. So we've been I've been getting to inter- I interviewed like a lot of people for different TV shows and things like that, which has been really cool. And um, so that's been fun on the comics route. Um, I've obviously been trying to save money since I'm um, unemployed. With that said, mm-hmm. I've been still reading all the X-Men books. That's really been kind of where <laughs> I'm at, um, just because I'm in. Yep. I'm, I just call me Meredith Grey. I'm all in. Like, um, <laughs> I, I still really am enjoying them overall. Um, I did drop Excalibur, and I, I made Eric summarize what happened in the book for me. Um, over mm-hmm. Messenger. I probably will try and pick it up at some point just because um, I need to understand, I think, where things are going. Um, yeah. With that said, um, yeah, that's kind of really all I've been picking up. I mean, to be honest, like DC stuff, I was, I've really heavily dropped off that cliff. Um, and I've really kind of dropped off my indie books too, which is really sad, but I unfortunately kind of had to make a lot of cuts and just yeah, really, that's understandable. Yeah, and so, I mean, this past week, I was very excited to read um, Giant Size X Men Storm, um, which I love. I think mm-hmm. it's the for me, um, it's the best of the Giant Size that have come out. Um, it, Without question. I oh think. yeah, easily. Like, the, I think Dowderman's art in this is good. Um, maybe I'm missing big muscular men. Um, a little yes. bit, but there's something that all the coloring is great. The art, I didn't dislike it, but I don't know. I reread it and I was like, this is not my favorite Russell Dowderman art that I've ever seen. Um, and I don't know if I, I don't know. I'd have to reread it again and look at it. Um, again, I don't think it's bad. It's just, there was something interesting about it. Again, maybe I'm missing muscular men. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's his niche, honestly. I think that's where he excels, but that's his point. right. No, I agree. Hmm. I, I haven't. 
So I haven't read any of the giant size books because I've only heard like bad things about them. Like I think the somebody said the Phantom X one was good, um, but there was a couple that I just heard bad things. I was like, I'm just not going to pick these up. Like the Magneto one, I think I heard was really bad. And I was like, okay, well, if they're not important to like the main storyline, then I'm just not going to grab them. See, should I should I go back and pick some I of them didn't up? Read the Magneto Did you want- one either. Do you want to get into this now or do we want to wait till the end? It's no, like we can get into it right now. I just, I'm curious if you've got like a quick thought on it. Sure. So Kevin, tell me if you agree with this. I felt like a bunch of them led into the storm. one. I felt like elements from Jean Grey and from the Phantom X directly lead into the storm one. And even there was some other little bits that also reference the Nightcrawler one, which had really nothing to do with Nightcrawler. Uh, don't um, even get me started, Eric. You yeah, know my- like the only, I do. Yeah. Kevin, I talked about this a lot. Like the Nightcrawler one is not a Nightcrawler story in any way, shape or form. That's a bummer because he's a fucking awesome character. (laughs) And they had Alan Davis draw it. And (laughs) it's such a weird story. And I don't like the only thing that I think and we'll get into this. I'm sure a lot. All of this ultimately is going to play into the Doug Warlock thing, which I think yep. is the big looming sword of Damocles for this entire relaunch. I think I absolutely they are the hinge to the whole thing. And that's the only thing I think that came out of the giant sized Nightcrawler that's worth talking about. But um, the only one that I don't think did play into the Storm one that came out this week was the Magneto one, which is very standalone in it. Uh, at the end of it, Magneto constructs an island uh, near uh, somewhere off like the coast of the UK specifically for emma and we have no idea what the purpose of that is um okay that was literally the whole point of it was to get us to this island that we don't know why it's there and we don't we have no idea why it exists well the the thing with emma frost right now is that it feels like she's constantly making moves behind the scenes and i know that's why like xavier and and magneto brought her into the fold but at the same time like to what end right like is she is she a villain is she a good guy like the last time we saw emma before house of x dawn of x she was like the ultimate villain so i'm wondering like how that's gonna play out so i don't know i don't know i don't mean to tangent completely because let me because if if anything we could talk about it more in the second half i know i keep saying that over and over but I, i yeah there's a lot to be said so i guess really quick then my what i i've been okay i've been you know just hanging out i've been doing a little bit of retail therapy buying one piece figurines off of ebay because that's what makes me feel good fabulous um and uh so yeah recently i read uh yusaji yojimbo uh book one ronin this is the like first collection of the first ever yusaji yojimbo books if you don't know yusaji yojimbo it is that character you've probably seen in the previews books or you've maybe seen it on a shelf at your local comic shop in like a big collection where it's a rabbit samurai and the story is really really good i mean it's this this book in particular it's on comiXology unlimited if you have that um and it's about just 10 little stories about this Ronin character who is the who's a rabbit. And uh, it's written and drawn by uh, Stan Sakai. It's little small motif stories that if you hadn't read anything else, you just jumped into one of them, you'd totally get it from beginning to end. It has all of the feelings of an Akira, uh, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Kurosawa. Thank you. Thank you. It has all the feelings of a Kurosawa film. Um from from beginning to end in every single story um having just watched seven samurai and literally last night i watched yojimbo like watching those and having read this comic it's like oh yeah there, there's definitely some severe inspiration coming from that as well as just just general history when it comes to samurai i was really impressed with how simple all of the stories were were and how entertaining they were with how cartoonish the story looks like it definitely looks like it's like an old like disney comic but it's also full of 
samurai killing people like it's it's kind of bloody but it's all black and white so it's not really gory um but yeah i i really really enjoyed it i'm gonna read all of the volumes that are available on cu it's it's incredible it's such a it's such an entertaining simple little book that i i think i'm really going to enjoy reading so once i finish one piece i think i'm going to just read all of the usagi ojimbo i can get my hands on Um, really good things about that book everyone recommends that Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, 80s kids might remember Usagi Ujimbo. He was actually a uh, action figure as part of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line. Yeah, yeah. they did do a creed. I think there's like a handful of crossover comics that they did as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you, if you have a CU subscription, like it all seven volumes that were originally published from Fantagraphics are available for you to read. So that's how I'm going to dig in. And then after that, I'll figure out what I'm going to read from Dark Horse. Um, but anyways, the, the other stuff that I read, uh, X-Men, I tried to ca- get caught up. I read things out of order. So I read X-Men 12, then Excalibur 12, then mm-hmm. Hellions number four. <laughs> I realized I, I looked at the end of Hellions four. I was like, oh, I'm literally reading these in almost reverse <laughs> order. Um, so I uh, got a little bit of little spoiler, but um, we'll talk more about X-Men in the second half of the show. And uh, my one piece update for this week is I'm on chapter 872 um, on the road to 1000. I will be caught up before they hit 1000, I think, at the rate that I'm going, which I'm very excited about. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, let's move on really quick. Let's talk about comic books that are coming out. Comics are dropping on September 23rd, 2020. Eric, Kevin, what are you guys excited for this upcoming week? Let's start with you, Kevin. Um, so I will say I am X of Swords. I couldn't put that on my list that I'm excited. I'm like, like uh, I love the X-Men, but I hate crossovers. So um, sure. I picked Juggernaut, which um, is coming out next week, um, which is a five issue limited. Um, I The character has never really... Um, I don't know. He's never really intrigued me, but like the summary, I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. And I feel like Mm -hmm. one of the things that Marvel in general has been doing that I think has really made it stand out from DC is they've really put together some really strong minis. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's by Fabian Nisha. Um, I think I said Mm -hmm. that. I think we got that. Got it. Yeah. Um, who's written X Force and Deadpool, which um, I think that's like the perfect combo of a writer that you want on a Juggernaut book. Um, and um, really great. Ron Garney is doing the art, and his art is really strong. I think uh, he's done Captain America and Daredevil. Um, so I think um, you know the reason I guess I'm excited about it is because I really liked the X Men Black books overall. Like I thought those books were had a lot of care and effort. You kind of alluded to the, like the, maybe I think you were alluding to the X Men Black with Emma Frost. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know I think I think that's been really interesting. It's been interesting to see Marvel do that. And then I guess I'm excited for X Factor in a couple weeks. I don't know what that's going to look like because it does intersect with X of Swords. But I've been really enjoying that team. Okay. Interesting. Because I have uh, not. We will talk um, about that, mister. We'll talk about that. Uh, Eric, what about you? What are you excited for in the upcoming weeks? Sure. So coming out this coming Wednesday is the new issue of Black Magic, which mm-hmm. is a indie book by Greg Rucka and Nicholas St- Scott. Um, I've been reading it mostly in trade, but I may switch to singles. Uh, it's uh, First of all, Nicholas Scott, I always have loved her artwork. I she's think she's incredibly great. talented. 
And I love the concept for this book. It is um, the the one thing that I found reading the first trade was this is clearly being written to be turned into a TV series. Mm. So the pacing <laughs> is yep. not terrific. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, reading it as a comic, uh, you're just like, okay, I need you to pick it up now. But as a yeah. TV show, I think it's going to work great. Um, yeah. The second volume definitely got stronger and it was much more pulled into the mythos they're building. It's a great concept. It's a uh, small town sheriff in, I believe, Salem, Massachusetts, which I used Mm -hmm. to live in Boston. So that's hitting me and uh, comes from a long line of witch witches. There's witch hunters. There's something going on with demons that are coming after them. There's a lot of really compelling stuff in it. And I mean, you can't beat Greg Rucka and Nicholas Gott. They are top tier talents. And I Mm -hmm. hope that it does get turned into a movie similar to, is it Rucka who did The Old Guard? Was that him? Yeah. 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 I have to assume this is going in that same path. And I, uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, please do. The first two trades are available. So I enjoy it. I will say, if you're going to switch over to um, single issues, be prepared to wait. Uh, Um, This book has had incredibly disgusting delays. And I don't know if that's Grucka or if it's Scott or if it's a combination of both or if it's just everyone being incredibly depressed right now and it's really hard to create anything. It could be all of that combined. But I know that between issues like... 11 and 12 there was like a year and some change wait so So, just a heads up on that as a saga fan i feel like i'm used to that and uh (laughs) you know i consider myself a practicing masochist so it sounds like two years two years since saga has come out I know we just we just finished our Saga of Saga series on Patreon and I was worried that we started it too late because the rumor was that Saga was supposed to come back this year or maybe like late last year or something like that. And I was like, well, screw it. We're just going to go through issue by issue, talk about the entire series from beginning to end. And if Saga comes back in the middle of that, so be it. And we finished our show. It's all released and it was recorded and released. And Saga still hasn't doesn't have an announcement um, for when it's going to come back. So. You know, but if you get a chance, go listen to that, folks. It's nonstop plugs today here on Ivy Comic Books. Um, anything else you want to talk about, Eric? We'd love to see it. Yeah. Um, so this is not coming out this week. It's coming out the week after. It's Legion of Superheroes number nine by Brian Michael Bendis, Ryan mm-hmm. Sook, and a cavalcade of, of modern artists. Um, I'm so torn. I am a long term Legion fan. I started reading it back during the Zero Hour reboot at DC, and then went back farther than that to read the 70s, 80s stuff, which is amazing. Um, I'm really struggling with. This relaunch. I want to love it. The designs by Sook are incredible. I love the concept that Brendis has gotten, but um, Bendis desperately needs an editor over at DC. What? Desperately needs an editor. And I mean, and a real editor who's actually going to do a job editing. Um, sure. And uh, like we are now on issue nine and they still have not introduced half of that team. And how (laughs) and there's a bunch of new characters who we've seen on panel, but we have no idea who they are and what they can do. And it is infuriating to me. The two part eight point eight and nine are supposed to be introducing people to this team. Great. That should have been issues one and two or at the very latest, like three and four. And um, I again, I want to love it. I'm amazed that Ryan Sook is still on the book because I can't think of another series where Ryan Sook, excuse me, Sook has continued after like issue four. It's not his gig. But um, I, I there's so much I 
really want to like about the book, but God damn it, Bendis is making it so hard. And I mm-hmm. don't know why he does that to people. Legion is a book where you need to like leverage the fandom. It's like a legacy fandom to make something successful. And I feel like he's doing everything in his power to piss that fandom off. So he did that with Young that's Justice my spiel. too, honestly. He did, and it got canceled. Yep. And I'm afraid that that's going to happen to Legion. Legion should be successful. It's an amazing concept. And mm. we need that kind of optimistic future now more than ever, given the world that we live in. And he's like, he's snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory, is how I'm looking at this. So mm. that's my spiel. Interesting. Well, I know that we have at least a handful of Legion fans out there that listen to the show. So let us know what you think of of Bendis's Legion of Superheroes. I'm curious to know because I really do, barely know anything about Legion. So maybe that's a whole other episode where I just get schooled on Legion of Superheroes because really that's like a blank space in my mind. I would love um, to talk about it with you. I love the Legion. Sure. Eric sure. got, me to, Eric uh, got well, me to read it and it's fantastic. The old the old books, they're so good. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm I yeah, I, again, I I would I would love that. But we're here to talk about X-Men today, folks. So let me get through this really quick. I am excited for Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy number four. This is Jeff Lemire and uh, Tonsi Sanjic. Uh, it's, this is one of the uh, superhero universe, the Black Hammer verse, if you will, that Lemire has been putting out at Dark Horse. And this book has had a huge, like, time dist- or space between when issues came out because of you know delays and everything comics basically got shut down for a while um but issue number three came out in february issue number four is coming out in september so i think i'm gonna have to go back and read issues one through three but from what i remember i really liked what was going on in this book it was like a mix of punisher and moon knight and kind of your the shadow type characters that you know hide in the in the darkness of of the night in order to stop bad people from doing things but then there was like more mysticism and magic behind it um again it's been quite a bit of time so maybe i'm misremembering some stuff but it, it's a it was a really fun book and i've been reading it pretty much all of the like black hammer verse books at this point so um i'm excited to to get another one because i know like the main black hammer story is kind of over um and we don't know if we're going to get any more so I, i'm just kind of holding on to what i what i can get um while we still have it but yeah, th- I don't know if you guys have read any of the Black Hammer stuff, but I highly recommend at least the core Black Hammer story. It's it's very, very good. Yeah, I actually bought the first volume of that on Comixology at your recommendation, and I started mm-hmm. to read it, and I, I have to get back to it. I enjoyed what I was reading. So, oh, uh, good. yeah, that sounds like a, a good time. I'll have to get back to it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are, what I have in my notes is Hox Pox Docs Bagosh. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about all things House of X, Dawn of X, and probably getting into some of the stuff that we've definitely hinted at already in this episode. Um, Everything that there is to be about X-Men and what we think about the future of X-Men, given Jonathan Hickman's, you know, gears within gears within gears type storytelling. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. our show this week we are talking about all things house of x dawn of x powers of x powers of 10 x of sword powers of swords <laughs> tens of swords i don't understand sword, swords what's happening something yeah like i just like i said this last week on the show you know i just want hickman or somebody marvel to put an x sword in my x god x damn x hand powers 10 x please like i don't understand where we're getting these pronunciation stuff but we're here to kind of talk about the house of x powers of 10 
new era of X-Men. And so, you know, as we've you've heard in the first half, I brought in two severe experts um, to talk about X-Men. So really, I guess, to get into the core of things, you know, Eric, Kevin, um, whoever wants to jump in first, um, and maybe I'll just start with Eric so it's easier. Um, you know, as someone who's been a longtime reader, how do you see this new era of X-Men in your, like, historied eyes of, of, of reading X-Men for so many years? Sure. So um, I will say this. I think it has been a real refresher for a franchise that needed a refresher. Mm-hmm. Um, I think during the weekly launch of House of X and Powers of Ten, I was completely on board. I was loving it. I thought that House of X was more successful than Powers of Ten, but um, still, I was very engaged. I think since then, the bloom has fallen off the rose a little bit because I think we're seeing what I consider now to be the very typical Hickman trope, which we've seen in his Avengers run, his FF run, even in East of West, where he has this gigantic map. Like His world building is incredible, right? He Mm -hmm. is so thoughtful. He loves putting in these easter eggs he's an extremely intelligent person but um he likes to show off yep. how intelligent he is <laughs> and i think he likes to do an arc where he travels around the story for a very long time before he gets to the story and what we've experienced right. i feel in the past 12 issues of the dawn of x titles is there's been a lot of holding pattern um are you, st- are you telling me that when you were reading new mutants you love you didn't love like them just gallivanting across the universe with no real clear in- intent as to what they were doing like are you telling me that you didn't love that and it's so frustrating for me because I love those characters. Like, <laughs> I, 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 the New Mutants, like, if you look back at the Claremont slash the um, Louis Simonson run of that book, the original one, it's one of my all-time favorite comic book right. runs. Yeah. And I was so jazzed. I was like, yes, these characters, the, the movie was allegedly coming out at that time. And I was like, <laughs> finally, these characters are getting their due. And that book, has, and Kevin can attest to that, that book has been a real frustrating, like, trying to get it into gear they don't even I, like the cast even sometimes changes from the original new mutants to the armor and all uh glob herman mm-hmm. characters who i'll be very candid with you i can't fucking stand um <gasps> oh no listeners uh, what things that eric are saying are not representative of the ivory comic books podcast <laughs> I, I just want to <laughs> don't worry eric you have another person on your side on that one that's fine. I stand by that. If I want to read a Kitty Pride story, I'll read a Kitty Pride story. I don't need sure. armor to come and try to like do her gig. Uh, I've we've seen it. We've been there. Anyway, yep. that's me getting on my high horse. Um, mm-hmm. So th- th- my general feeling is though, if you push aside your disappointments by him not having the payoffs that I was looking for. I still think what he has done is really reinvigorated the franchise at the same level that I think Morrison did when he came on yeah, in the sure. like 2001. Um, and what I love especially is what I consider to be a sea change in the general concept of X-Men, which, you know, Morrison took it from a civil rights allegory to more about what the next stage of human evolution is going to be. And what Hickman, I feel, is doing is taking it. It's no longer the human versus mutant equation. It's human versus mutant versus machine versus post-human. And that Mm -hmm. is so exciting to me. It really has changed the game in a way that I think is fresh and new and interesting. And like Sentinel stories have never been terribly interesting to me. They're they're, they're pretty formulaic. These Sentinel stories I find are harrowing. And I thought that 
that uh, fight on the Orcus satellite in the House of X was gripping, absolutely gripping. So well done. And so I love this overarching thing. The idea of the resurrection protocols really kind of wipes the state clean of you had a lot of characters that had either been killed off or drastically changed over the years. This was a cosmic reset button. Everybody's back on the table and the ways that you remember them and you love them. I thought bringing the historical villains into the fold as no longer uh, necessarily antagonists, but players on the same scene mm-hmm. has been really great for character development, but it's not so great from a who are now our antagonists. And mostly if you look at the antagonists in the Dawn of X books, it's a lot of nameless concepts. Like if you told me that a quartet of old ladies who are <laughs> horticulturalists would be like the main recurring villains of this, I, I would have said, what weed are you smoking? And did they grow it? Like right. it, it, weird, but overall, yeah. I think there's more good than bad. I am still really engaged with most of the books. There's only a couple. I um I, I read through the entirety of Fallen Angels. That was oh, a, a total that helped you. Me too. I have not. Me too. Yeah. So b- before we get into to that, I mean, Kevin, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it before we start to dive in on individual books. Because I do want to talk about all of the books that have come out so yeah. far. Yeah. Sorry, I went on. I apologize. No, that's, that's fine. I just, I just I mean, wanted to get I ahead. Could say retweet or good job like you did a great job of summarizing my feelings too. Eric, you've read uh, maybe a couple more books that I just didn't jump on, but I think overall House of X and Powers of 10, um, I reread them actually the last two days in prep for this. Um, And I actually read them as House of X and Powers of 10 separately. I didn't read them in their order. And that was an Eric recommendation actually. You went against the sure scripture. Did. What the sure fuck? Did. And it <laughs> reads better. I I, I think it reads so much better. Um, I yeah. also agree that House of X is much stronger. And I think more so because I don't know, the Orca storyline alone really is for me why it stands out. Like that whole thing is just brilliant. It also has issue number two, which is the Moira issue, which is, I think, mm. was one of the best book. It is, I think, is the best book of of House of X and Powers of Ten. Like I think it's incredible. Mm-hmm. The scene with her and Destiny and Mystique, I think, was fantastic. Um yeah. love that. Yeah. Um I think um you know, Jonathan Hickman's It's Always Sunny, random string board, like Charlie Day, is, is still going. Um, yeah. he, he is someone who I, I, in the past, have struggled with. Like, I did not like his Avengers run, um, mainly because it became too convoluted for me. And I, I've, I know for me, Avengers, really, I, I, I like the simple Bendis storytelling for them, Um I do mm-hmm. think it works though for X-Men because the thing that Eric pointed out, Hickman is take he gave the X-Men the refresh that they needed. Um it had been a really, really long time um since I really thought uh an arc or storyline was massively successful. Although I will huge, huge, huge plug to X-Men Red, which came right before this, um, by Tom Taylor. That mm-hmm. those 12 issues were brilliant um, and a great standalone X-Men story um, if you're a fan and one you can kind of read um, without knowing much. You can just jump right in and read it. It's a really great X-Men story. Um, I think X-Men, the overall mainline book, um, 
and I know we'll get into this maybe even a little bit more. I'm, I'm starting to, it's starting to wear just a touch for me. Um, and I, I'm enjoying some of the smaller books and we'll, we'll get into those too, but yeah. um, because I, I want to know where things are going. Like I'm, I'm ready right. to take the next step. Is that X of swords or however 10 of swords or whatever, I don't know. Maybe I'm not really thrilled for that storyline, to be honest with you, which may be why I'm a little frustrated at the moment. I, I don't like, right. I don't like big crossover <clears throat> stories, but overall, like this is exactly what we needed for the X-Men. We needed a refresh, um, you know, on a palette cleanser for bringing the original five back palette cleanser for, uh, or into the future, I guess I should say, um, a palate cleanser for a lot of different bad storylines that happened over the last couple of years. And I think this has worked so far. I really do. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm in complete agreement. I think like this is definitely the refresh that was needed. Um, that being said, it's funny that you say X-Men Red was a book that you really liked because that was the one book at the time that I was just, I couldn't get I into. I, I really actually did like X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue. Um, and I, for some reason, I mean, with the exception of some of the beasts going into mysticism, young beast, and I was still kind of on the on the fence of like, why are the young X-Men still here? Because um, <laughs> it seemed like that storyline had kind of faded. But Absolutely. that... That being said, like, I think that this paradigm shift in the story is exactly what Eric had said. You know, like, it's like Morrison showing up and saying, all right, this is just a new era and this is going to set the new status quo. And that's exactly what Hickman did. I think that Marvel was hoping for something like that out of, like, the X-Men or it was the astonishing X-Men or whatever run that happened a while back. And then it all fell apart because the Terrigen bomb thing happened, which to me was an interesting storyline. But it wasn't like a game changer because it just felt like another problem that the X-Men had to deal with on top of everything else yep. versus this, which is a an actual new run in the in the world for them. Um, the uh, You know, rereading House of X and Powers of Ten, I read them like last night just to, to keep my mind refreshed. And then having read X-Men 12 this morning, I was like, holy shit, Hickman planned X of Swords from the yep. get go. Yeah. He planned it. Like and that that to me is like really cool and of course like I said gears within gears stories within stories he's done it with everything he did it with Secret Warriors he did it with his Avengers run he did it with his Illuminati stuff he did it with um Shield you know, Illuminati was Bendis uh, either way he did it with uh you know all, all the stuff that he's done uh, he always is is building bigger stories which which is great and I think that you know longtime readers always appreciate that stuff um, but now to see the the way that the marvel is treating some of the x books is kind of odd to me and this is this is the thing i kind of wanted to get into as we talk about the individual right. books you know to me i've been looking at the x men all of the x men books as individual books right. that are telling stories and sometimes they interconnect and th- there was a while where it was like reading order was important and then after the number ones it didn't matter anymore and now as we get up to 12 a year later um quote unquote a year later um we we're seeing like that also come into play again, where you have to read them in order because X Men is doing that thing that I think a lot of fans hate, which is you got to read these nine books in order, otherwise you're not going to get the whole right. story. Um, but the thing that I've actually come to realize is that it seems like the way that the Marvel like editorial staff or whatever is treating these books is like X Men and New Mutants are kind of like a detective comics or action comics where. There are stories about teams and stuff, but this whole book isn't about one team. 
right? Like the X-Men book to me feels like detective comics where we're kind of just getting a feel of Gotham um, mm-hmm. and we're focusing on different characters from month to month or from, you know, arc to arc. Um, and then Excalibur and and all of the other books are kind of like one-off things, even Fallen Angels, you know, which I think, Eric, you said it was canceled. I'm pretty sure that was planned as a miniseries. Um, I don't understand how there could have ever been more story to that, let alone the story that we yep. got. Um, but yeah, so like I've, I've been seeing just that, that trend of it, it feels like they're treating this as an actual like branch of comics again versus trying to add it to the rest of the you know continuity world with the exception of things like x-men slash fantastic four which was a weird crossover that i still haven't finished um but yeah anyway so i I, i've i've been trying to like change my mindset about how i look at these books where there are independent stories but they all kind of like dovetail back to a single story point and then they'll probably branch out again and dovetail back um because i think that's what how DC has been treating the Batman books for the last few years, and they've seen pretty massive success for that. Um, do you guys feel the same way about it? I definitely do. I think that's exactly what's going on. I, I, I do think, it, yes, Fallen Angels was intended to be many. The thing I had read was that all of the Dawn of X launches were looked as as kind of short runs from the beginning, and then mm-hmm. they were surprised by how successful some of them were, and that's why I think maybe Excalibur. I think Excalibur was always going to play into X of Swords, right. Ten of Swords, whatever the fuck it's oh, called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I don't know if th- some of the other spinoffs were supposed to last as long as they have and continue mm-hmm. on the way they have. Um, but I agree with you that it's they branched out from the original event. There is some crossover. I think X-Force is a lot more required reading than maybe some of the other ones. Like if you're not reading X-Force, yeah. I think you're missing major plot points. I also think Cable is going to be really big. And right. I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on that book for some yeah. reason, even though Phil Noto is on it. It's, I am not reading Cable or Wolverine. I just, they're not characters that, that, um, I resonate with. I, I sure. understand why they're hugely popular. I do not begrudge them that at all. But I just tend to be like, I've read so many Cable and Wolverine stories. I don't think that you're going to give me anything that's going to be terribly compelling. But I could be yeah. wrong. I could be completely well, wrong. Yeah, I haven't been reading Wolverine either, but Cable I picked up strictly because Phil Noto was on art. And it, like, the first issue of that book deals with a sword. So like, <laughs> like a sword from space. So I think it's going to be super important reading if you want any backstory, um, at least maybe maybe backstory that is optional. But if you want more information about these swords that isn't probably coming from the main X of Swords book, I think Cable is a good primer to get you started, even if it is a little odd. And for some reason, Cable is dating all the Stepford Cuckoos. I don't understand that. He's dating all of them at once. Um but, you know, it's fine, I guess. It's, you know, people, it's a different life, different world that we're living in, I sure. guess. That's right. Sexual politics on Krakoa <laughs> are very malleable. Uh, dude, Amazing. Uh, that's a whole that's a whole other Ooh. thing, right? Because, I mean, we could we talk about the, the Cyclops, Jean Grey, Wolverine, Ruffle. like, triad that, that, that they have? The Thrupple? Yeah. I mean, you guys have seen the diagram, oh, yeah. right? You've seen the map of their complex? Yeah. And I think it was actually even made, not even subtext, but X. text in one of the recent X-Men yeah, issues where, yeah, yeah. or maybe it was X-Force where um, Wolverine's joking with Jean or Colossus about seeing oh. Scott in a Speedo, like that sounds like a good time. And mm-hmm. uh, I think like Wolverine even makes a, a reference to seeing Colossus in the shower and how everything's big. Like they're like, and listen, both Kevin and I are, are aggressively homosexual, aggressively. but I feel, <laughs> I feel like, um, we don't even have to reach at this nope. point. I feel like they're just full on acknowledging that Wolverine is is fully by, and mm-hmm. um, I also feel like we're getting Gene Emma flirtation too, yes. like multiple times. We've we've mm-hmm. had that kind of thing going. So 
I'm I'm all like I will watch that porn. I, that that sounds like a good time. <laughs> and I think that's, that's yeah. actually one of the things I actually and I didn't talk about this. I think that's one of the things that I'm loving about this overarching concept with Hickman and the other writers is they're embracing um a queerness like and it is there's subtext and there is text and i think that is something Mm -hmm. that i'm that oh i mean i think that's why i gravitated towards the x-men i grew up being a different human being i was like i know i'm different and that's the main crux of who they are and how do they embrace it and i i've loved that i think you know emma frost my god she is a pure queer iconography and like of course, as a gay it's brother, dynasty, honey. Has a gay brother, right. uh, and like she is pure dynasty. It's just, but I love seeing this in in all and most of the books. Like it is really, really interesting, and I think that another thing yeah. that makes this arc different and special. And I think that's what comics needs right now. They need these like new stories. They need new stories, and this is what that the X Men are doing. And I'll yeah. say, go ahead. I'm sorry, Mike. No, I, I just really quick. I think that this is like maybe Eric, you were about to make the same point. I think fans for years have been clamoring for this type of stuff, right? They've been saying like, "Why are you hinting at these things? We live in the fucking twenty first century. People can be gay. People can be bi in text. It can be continuity. Right. It's okay." Yeah. Like I don't like for years. I think people have been hiding or shying away from that, or they've just been hinting at it, or there'd be a glance on a page, and it's like, why, right? X-Men has been pushing itself for years, you know, like the first openly gay marriage in in a comic book happened in an astonishing X-Men issue, right? Why do we have to take these legacy characters and hide away from the things that have been hinted at for decades, right? I think that's that's kind of the thing that that fans have been have been screaming about, um, specifically in the X-Men community. And now we're actually seeing writers coming up who have been part of that community for a long time and they're pitching ideas and saying well i want to establish this as count as canon yep. and let's just roll with it because it doesn't do any harm to the character it it like in, in in a lot of ways it honors the character more because they can actually be open on the page they can be like who they are who care people have been reading them as for years on page yeah um so it, yeah yeah i was gonna say something along those lines like but you want to talk about things have been hinted at for years marauders 12 we have kitty full-on lesbian kissing someone like full-on and that's been one of the things that people have thought about for a long time but let me say this um yes everything you just said and you know there are certain fans who have been asking for this but i also think if you look at what hickman is doing on a very like basic level it's talking about what would humanity look like in the future what is future society and you see that Mm -hmm. like as a very serious through line in powers of 10 especially um and I think what he's saying is, why would mutants obey by human moral code, mm-hmm. like social yeah. code? Yeah. Yeah. They're creating their this whole new society. They have their their names, their own language. They're saying we don't abide by these rules that were set upon us by some ancient version of humanity. They have really no relevance to us. So yeah. the the law, literally the law of Krakow, is go out and make more mutants. So right. Right. why wouldn't they all be just fucking everybody like when cable is dating all of the cuckoos of course he is why wouldn't he be like it's just it's and i i do think that there's um a very intense reflex against what people see as the forced 
um, diversification of comics and you, they have a comic skate mu- movement. I don't even want to get into that. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Fuck those guys. We don't yeah, fuck that waste of, waste of space. As yeah, far as exactly. I'm this to me doesn't feel forced this to me. If we're talking about evolution, which is the backbone of what the X-Men property is, mm-hmm. it makes sense that as they create their own society, which like you can say that they've done this whole concept before with Avalon and with utopia and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is different. I feel like it's, it's a whole different scale. If they're creating another society, of course they're going to create a whole different rule when it comes to there are no rules for right. sexuality. I mean, yeah, just going back to the basis of House of X and Powers of Ten, like the the three laws of, right. of this island, and that's really that they all, all they need to hold on to is you know you should kill no man, like no human, you know make more mutants, and this land is sacred. Like fuck, like that is the easiest shit to understand. So yes, this this absolutely makes sense. I I don't think I considered it that way. So that's that's a thank you for bringing that up. So, um, I mean, I, I, I love basically what, what's happening in this book. I, I, you're, you're really opening my eyes now, I think, to that idea, Eric, that the reason why a lot of this stuff feels maybe foreign, but it makes sense for the book is because they are really trying to create a paradigm shift in the in-universe for these characters in general. So they should be able to love whoever they want, however they want, you know, provided it's all consensual and, and everyone is happy and all that kind of stuff, like it's 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 good to see it's it's positive reinforcement i think back on the readers to say like this is a you know if if you identify this way and you can see characters that identify that way as well they don't have to hide themselves or be worried about being shunned by their community because their community is no longer humanity it is mutantum right, right. it is just mutants who are if, as far as we've seen pretty accepting I mean, we run into like weird characters like Exodus, who is on the Quiet Council. Um, and like, I think Professor X made a thing about Exodus being on this, uh, uh, on the Quiet Council, saying that like he has this strict moral code. And I don't know enough about Exodus to speak to them, but um, that dude seems harsh as fuck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But and he's one of the characters I wish they would explore more because nobody knows a lot about Exodus. He appeared in the yeah. Fatal Attraction storyline out of nowhere. Yep. And we got some background on him. Like he was, he's not immortal, but he's been around for hundreds of years. There's something with him and the Black Knight. But like mm-hmm. we still know precious little about Exodus for a character who's been around literally for almost 30 years. Yes. When you say the Black Knight, are you talking about like the magic character from from the UK? Like the Black Knight who works like with the rest of Excalibur and stuff? No, I'm talking about Black Knight from like the Avengers. Like he he is connected. Oh. And there's like if you go back to the 90s, there's an actual like Exodus Black Knight crossover story. And I think maybe an annual where it's like Exodus back hundreds of years dealing with like one of the modern day Dane Whitman Black Knight predecessors. Like they're connected somehow through that. But Interesting. like. It's it's crazy to me how little characterization and history exists with this character, and he's on the Quiet Council in a really intensely powerful position. Everybody yeah. else on the council we know at least somewhat about. Mm-hmm. Exodus is kind of a cipher right now. Like we really don't know that much about him, except apparently has some very strict moral code. I, I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that the Quiet Council in and of itself is fascinating, and er- I think Eric, you brought this up earlier. I think the one thing I also really I think is interesting about this this series is um, we're engaging with people who would typically be defined as villains in the mutant world in the past, like Mr. Sinister and Apocalypse and Mystique. And um, we get to explore the Hellions a little bit who are, mm-hmm. you know, all these different, all these different characters. Uh, Exodus is another person and Magneto and 
um, in in context or text as pushing the mutant society forward. And I think that is also obviously a really great concept too. I think it's really interesting. And, and I also think it plays to one of the things that I love about this book is um, it's almost like reading a horror series a little bit. Cause like when I first started um, house of X, like the first issue, like two days ago and you see Xavier um, as the mutants are coming out of their pods, it felt like a horror. Like I, I was like, Oh, this is frightening. Like I, you don't know who you can trust. You don't know mm-hmm. what's going on. You don't know where it's going to go. And it's almost like, don't go in that room or don't say I'll be right back because maybe wealthy <laughs> with apocalypse. Like you don't know what their motives are. And I think we're starting to see that unfold and, and you get to see like Sinister's journal, which is, I mean, my God, fucking hilarious. Did like, hilarious. Yeah. oh Love my it. God. It's like page six of the X-Men. Yeah, you know, and he's so I funny. Mean, yes. He's so funny, and I really, really, I the one person I'd love to see them do a little bit more with on that lens is Mystique because I I love a, a good Mystique story. Um, but I think it's really it's been really fun outside of really disliking Excalibur, which we can talk about soon too. I loved getting to watch Apocalypse. I thought that was a read Apocalypse. Right. That was fun. That kept me in the first arc, honestly. I was I was going to say I actually kind of wanted to focus on that book because to your point of like we've got these villains and they're all being brought up as equals and no one is a good good guy or a bad guy now they're just mutants together um ex- or excuse me uh, apocalypse seems to be that character that people still are uncertain on and only in the Excalibur book are people really questioning right. him or however you say his name now which is in my mind I just hear it as right. or yeah, something yeah. like I, I don't know what it is <laughs> but it's it's a noise and it's it's interesting because I think in other books, specifically like the the core X Men book and the House of X Powers of Ten books, Apocalypse is treated as kind of this this character who is someone to be revered and actually work with to push things forward in a positive way and is a core piece of the story. But then you switch over to Excalibur and he's still kind of treated like a villain that people are just okay with working with. Like we're only going to do this because we have to. Versus. Like, why aren't you guys really trying to work together with him? He's only trying to move the, you forward. Because I've become of the opinion that Apocalypse is probably the best ally you can have if you're trying to survive as mutants versus humans, right? Absolutely. Um, and that seems to be what they're they're trying to do, despite the overarching idea that we know that spoilers, you know, they don't survive. Right. <laughs> Which is a whole other thing to get into. But uh, what are you, so you guys, you know, reading Excalibur, like, how do you feel about that with with apocalypse being treated still kind of as a villain so i'm happy to jump into this but i do want to put an asterisk i want to go back and discuss how i think at some point in this podcast i think the historically villain characters have actually had the best characterization of yeah. anybody so far in house of oh, x sure. at oh, sure. um, i think that's really super interesting and i also want to go back and i wanted to touch on what kevin said about the horror story specifically regarding xavier in general uh because yeah. there's stuff going yeah, go, on there go that we're it. not saying but we can do that now or we can do that later it's up to you mike you tell me yeah, just go go into whatever you want so uh, i'll to play off of what kevin was saying about it feeling like a horror story that scene in particular with that happened where we didn't know about resurrection at that point we just saw xavier standing over people coming out of pods with a smirk on his face saying to oh, me my I x-men loved if, i loved it i it, it's haunting and i think if you notice we almost never and i went back and checked this see professor xavier without his helmet right. since house of x one 
The mm-hmm. only time you mm-hmm. see his face is when he is uh, in flashbacks with Moira. And I think there may have been one other instance where he's doing like a public appearance dealing with human beings. But there, uh, there is a moment near the end where he is without the helmet, but he's about to put it on. And but otherwise, yes, I totally agree with you. Um, we also need to keep into consideration, and I know that Hickman has kind of uh, been ignoring some continuity stuff that came before his run because I think it's inconvenient for him. <laughs> but prior to that book starting, to his, him starting on these books, Xavier was in Phantom X's body. And yeah. so, like, yeah. Xavier, like, and so this whole time I'm reading this, I'm like, is this Charles Xavier? Right. I can't be sure that it is. And I continue to think that there is shadowy stuff happening that he's not even letting anybody else know. Like, if you look at that map of Krakoa in the House of X, there are areas that we still haven't touched on. There's like right. uh, a black area. There's like the no place gates that go to some place. They're, they're tumors that Krakoa doesn't know about. Like, right. Where, where, it's where they stored Sabretooth at, the, at one point, right? I, we, we assume there's. We assume, I, yeah. I suspect, like again, Hickman loves to seed his stories. I suspect there's still something going on with Xavier as a as a character that is going to have a horror. I won't be surprised, frankly, because I think a lot of where he's pulling his stories from are the late 80s, early 90s X-Men stories. Mm-hmm. If we don't see some type of onslaught thing coming up at some point, I think that's where we're <laughs> I going. I agree. Also, notice that Proteus uses Xavier's bodies as his husks, which to me is a gigantic red flag. Yeah, and yeah. I don't feel like it gets talked about. So I feel like Xavier is this really big dangling plot line, just he himself, that at some point has to be addressed. But oh, it, yeah. uh, um, talking about the villains themselves, what a wonderful way to really get digging deep to these characters that have been around for decades. And I don't think they knew necessarily what to do with them. It was all getting a little bit rote. Um the stuff with Sinister is hilarious. Playing him as this campy, gay, like mustache twirling, like <laughs> ne'er do well. I'm living for it. But he's also super dangerous, right? Like if you're yeah, reading the yeah. Hellions book, he's terrifying and Fallen Angels too. Um, the Apocalypse stuff, I agree. He's so incredible in all of the books, except for Excalibur, where he's like the central character and is treated totally differently. <clears throat> Mystique, again, is another one of those time bombs that's waiting to go off. The yeah. Destiny stuff to me is, like, I always loved Destiny. I remember, like, being very upset when she got killed off, like, mm-hmm. decades ago. Um, that storyline, I think, is going to be hugely important in, like, a year or two. The Destiny, Mystique, ticking time bomb thing. And the fact that we've not seen anything from Moira since House of X wrapped, like, it's just hanging out there. And I'm so desperate to get back to it. But I know he's not going to do that for at least a while. And that's what makes these stories so brilliant, right? Is that he laid the the groundwork for dozens of stories to either unravel this, this era or to drive it in a totally different direction. Like we, he did a whole big focus on this thing about the flanks and, and the dominion and Tartarus and these giant outer world beings that exist apparently, but we've never heard of them before. Um, and their only thing that they fear is fe- the Phoenix force and Galactus. Right. And those that storyline just disappeared like all these different pieces just just up and disappeared after the end of the the initial storyline because now we have to like focus on this more granular stuff right hickman sets up like this grand scheme 
And now we have to actually go through the motion of these little storylines before we can get to those big beats. I don't think they've disappeared. I think everything well, disappeared with Doug in like and, a. Yeah, I know what you yeah. say, but I think everything with Doug and Warlock ultimately is leading to that. And in well, fact, yeah, given the way that it was the the these outer beings were drawn, they're clearly the the that alien race that Warlock is. I can't remember what they're called. The Technarch, um, yeah, yeah, they're clearly related to that. Uh, but the other thing, um, and if you haven't been reading the giant sizes at the end of Giant Size Storm this week, which are there any other giant sizes on the schedule? By the way, are there any more upcoming issues, or was that I it? Think- uh, not that I, I know that of. was it and because I was thinking so that I think too. that's yeah and I feel like it really encapsulates the six specials that have come up it ends with Doug specifically acknowledging an AI that is created yep. from a technoorganic virus that is pulled out of storm mm-hmm. that is captured by the world which is the thing that built Phantom X and it is like being held in stasis there but Doug specifically talks to it and was like I know that you're sentient. I know that you're going to be trouble. I'm not going to say anything to anybody else, but I just want you to know I see you. And to me, I'm just like, Interesting. this is clearly going to put into something ma- major in the long term. Like Doug is, I, I, I continue to say, Xavier and Doug are the two biggest players in this whole thing. By the way, notice how often Doug appears in X-Men. Notice how often he appears in the other ancillary books. He's everywhere constantly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I went yeah. on a tangent. I apologize. No, no, I, this is this is what I wanted out of this conversation. I had like some really basic, like, so if somebody was going to get into Dot of X, what should they read? Hell no, I don't want to do that <laughs> anymore. Like, I want to talk about this because this is a way more... I, I mean, I I thought that I had some thoughts on on X Men. Apparently, I don't <laughs> because this is like I, I really appreciate this this bits of conversation. I mean, I I like this idea that there is you know stories within stories that like really we could feed X Men for the next five or ten years on a lot yes, of this stuff. Absolutely, and I, I'm all for it because this is some of the most interesting X Men I've read in a long time. I mean, like there have been some really good stories that I love, like the Rogue and Gambit book. Loved it to yep. death. Right. But like from a world building perspective, from like a greater X-Men universe perspective, I think we're seeing some of the best comics we've seen in like 10 or 15 years, like as a whole, like each, you know, we, we have our one off weird issues that in, in story arcs that don't work. But like on the whole, like this is a quite literally a whole new era for X-Men and it's only for the better because it, it expands the possibility of what's capable for the X-Men. And I love that to death. Agree. It's very fertile soil. And I use that yeah. with the pun intended. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. thing, but it really is as you pointed out there you can farm this this concept for 10 15 years and i still think you'd have new stuff to to uncover yeah. but mm-hmm. that's just me i i i'm talking so much yeah, so i'm gonna pass I, I think off you're, i mean you i mean i will say this whenever i eric and i talk about we every wednesday we typically will message each other on new comic book day and talk about x-men mm-hmm. and eric knows a lot and so like like, again, I talked about this in the beginning. I have read X-Men for a long time, but Eric is like the keep, my keeper of knowledge. I'm like, remind me of this. What was this? And he knows it. So I think it's good that you're delving into all of this and, and sharing this because you know what you're talking about, which is great. Um, I think the other thing I love about these books is we're getting to see a lot of side characters um, outside of even the villains, um, but like fun side characters really be explored in cool and unique ways. Cause there are so many X-Men characters. There are so <laughs> yeah, yeah. many, and it is like 
I I will agree with you, Eric. I'm not a Glob fan and a Noel, no thanks. I just like those characters never connected with me. But like characters like getting to see Havoc explored in the way he's being explored in Hellions, getting to see um I don't know, someone like Prodigy be on a team in X Factor. I really yeah. love that. And like they're doing a great job with Prodigy because Prodigy can be I've ne- I've read his Young Avengers, and I I think for me in that book he was never super interesting to me. I I like him, interesting, yeah. But like I like where they're going with him in as an X Men. Uh, I think it's really mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, I love that we're getting a lot of Generation X characters. Obviously, Hickman liked Generation X, and I'm a big yeah. That's, I'm a big, I'm a yeah, big very Monet queer. fan. I love I love her and getting her. Mm-hmm turn into penance right because that's who she turns into right am i wrong on that eric it's it's a super complicated situation because and i'm sorry everybody you're gonna have to deal with me no please so we're here for x-men this week that's it right so like when you look at the original gen x book who the person that you thought was monet was actually the two twins that were merged into one person and actual monet was penance right 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 and it was all hugely confusing. And mm-hmm. so I think what they're going with now is what we're dealing – the person we're dealing with now is actual Monet who also is Penance. Right, right. Um, that So, like, getting to see characters like that, um, I never read Fallen Angels. I never – I've not read Cable. Like, I just – Cable is not a character that I connect with. Um, mm-hmm. but again, but this is young cable. He's young, hot, really cool cable who like, likes to make snarky comments and acts, you know, purposefully kill his future self. You are not selling me. You know? Why, why do not selling me. I don't understand why Marvel did that though. Like, honestly, I, from a like marketing standpoint, you just had a very successful version of him on the silver screen and mm-hmm. he's older. Right. So why are you then killing that version of the character and bringing in a character that nobody knows nothing about except the only reasons I can think of are number one so he can be a romantic lead with more characters right. mm-hmm. and not be creepy right. or number two because I think when you look at you were saying that the X-Men series just X-Men is kind of side characters coming in and out I really think it's ultimately a story about the Summers family right. which is kind oh, of sure. like the sure. dynasty of X-Men and so it for Scott to be playing father knows best. It doesn't make sense to have a son who's 20 years older than him. But right, now right. you have the fun dynamic between him and Rachel. Um, and we haven't really seen him interact that much with Vulcan, which, by the way, I love what they're doing with Vulcan. Yes. I am so intrigued by that because that's yeah, a character. A, yeah, a lot character. of meat. Yeah, a lot of meat on the bones. And I'm really excited to see where they go with that. But I don't understand why they did that with Cable. Uh, but I guess it's sticking. I thought maybe that would be retconned very quickly after we got to House of X, but they're going with it, I guess. They are. I mean, yeah. The one thing I will say, I do miss some of the more recent characters that I fell in love with that we really haven't seen. But I, Eric told me that Honey Badger is coming up in New Mutants, and I love Honey Badger. She's incredible. <laughs> she's my yes, favorite, here. favorite new characters. I think she's so fun. I wish we had more Laura, too. I mean, Laura just mm-hmm. disappeared mm-hmm. into somewhere. Um, I, I love X-23. Yeah. And I, I think I'll be curious to see what happens with that. Because that I remember reading that issue and going to Eric like, wait, where the hell is Laura going? And are, is she gone? Wait, I'm confused. Well, she was she was in the Fallen Angel right. series, but she was very much like not Laura. all the growth that 
Yeah, she yeah, all the growth that Tom Taylor made with the character was basically just like wiped away for that book totally. just so that they could be like, This is a team of killers. It's like, yeah, but Laura is so much more than that now. Right. Like yeah. she's like a she's very much a the stronger character than just like I go blind with rage, kill people now. It's like, come on, like we don't yeah. need another Wolverine. If you wanted Wolverine, just put Wolverine in the exactly. book. Um yeah, anyways, anyways. No, yeah, no, it's very true. It is true. Um and I do think, to touch on that point, again, what, the other thing that we're seeing from an overarching point, that's another post-human race that they're interacting with. You have the world coming from the Phantom X area. Right. You have the children of the vault, which those two concepts are, are really similar, but also very different. And mm-hmm. the fact that you have three essentially immortal or slow aging mutants now trapped in that particular vault the the children of the vault thing again that's another ticking time bomb that i don't think we're going to get to anytime soon but you know at some point it's going to boomerang back and fuck up some shit oh sure it's super interesting it does piss me off that they brought back sync and literally wrote him off within like yes a month yes same i've liked x-force a lot i am very curious who is working who Colossus's brother is working with who that per that shadow organization is that has been pretty fascinating to me as a, a, a villain group. Uh, those were the people who sent the people into spoiler assassinate professor Xavier. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know who that masked person is that hasn't been revealed yet, or we don't have a clue as to who that is. Right. We don't. Okay. And no. it is weird to me because the fact that they're wearing a mask makes it the assumption as a reader is that it's someone we would know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But yeah, it's that I love like they're generally like a terrifying yes. organization. Yeah. And it's kind of taken the reverse concept, which kind of becomes stale in the 90s and, and really reinvigorated it. But um, I, I agree. The, the, actually, the most interesting thing t- uh, in X-Force to me, and sorry, Mike, if we're going off your topic right no, now. Th- this is perfect. Keep okay, going. Great. Um, is I'm so fascinated by what they're doing with Beast. Yes. Because Beast has been a really controversial figure for quite some time now. He's really been making what I consider to be awful choices. And I'm like, you know, Beast is due for redemption. Beast is due for a redemption. Beast in X-Force is worse than he's ever been. Beast in X-Force is like setting up internment camps at the border level bad. And I'm very intrigued by at what point do you either just kill this character or just reboot him? Because he's getting to a point where he's unfixable. Oh, right. Th- yeah, go for I it. I think well, he's Dark Beast. Well, actually, you know what? I think that I like that idea a lot because there is kind of a question of does he just become Dark yep. Beast, right? My my thought is, and Kevin, if you have more to elaborate on, I, I no. feel free to do so. Um, my thought is, so there's this concept that keeps getting touched on right after they introduce the idea of resurrection protocols is that Xavier he keeps a backup of people's minds and all this other stuff. And that there is a possibility to revert yourself to an earlier state of yourself. Mm, yes. I have a feeling that beast with what all the kind of bad stuff that he's been doing, professor X is going to like revert him to a time before that he's going to do something so bad that he's going to be like, I can't be this person anymore. Right. And he's going to ask to be reverted back to this, like, Maybe really, really far back. They're going to like twist on the idea of, oh, we'll just go back a few months. It's going to be like, no, I want to go back a few years or something. I, I think that that's the the direction that they're going to go with. Because there's also this concept that they touch on like three times in in the Hoxpox um, book about the idea of putting a different mind into the body of someone else. Yes. Which who knows how they're going to explore that. I mean, right. 
but but I think that with Beast, he's going to do something that he can't live with, and he's going to ask Professor X to revert him not to an earlier state of like Dawn of X Beast, but even further back to like before he could make any of those bad choices to see if he could redo the world. I, I have a feeling that's what's going to happen. That's my guess. I think it's an interesting idea because you have to do something at some point to redeem this character. I don't know how much, like he's becoming the William Barr of, of the X-Men universe. And like, I just don't know how much longer you can go down that road. But two thoughts that come to me immediately are number one, if you bring back beast in a new body, is that going to be a blue furred body? Because technically he's only in that state because of, he was experimenting on himself like his natural mutation is just dude with big feet and big hands interesting Um, over the years that has changed because he kept experimenting on himself and now he's like constantly evolving slash devolving but Mm -hmm. it's a question i have for like uh, i know for a fact that when they bring back wolverine they literally have a bath of adamantium there to re-adamantium here they Mm -hmm. they establish that in x-force but what about other characters who have been uh physically altered in some way like do they right. just fix that so that's one question yeah what do you do with cable with the techno organic virus yeah. he doesn't have the right. tail virus if you bring him back then he's right. essentially strife right because right. Yeah. he doesn't have that in him by the Holy way strife shit. is a dangling that plot line that we have not say, touched on oh, that <laughs> he, he's a notable absence in all of this and i don't even know what the last time that character appeared oh. but like I do feel like the Mutant Liberation Front has been referenced fairly recently, and that's a whole 90s plot line that's been largely forgotten. So I've been curious if yeah. he – maybe he's the one that's that's running the thing in X-Force. He's the only, like, big villain that has not yet been touched. That's what I was going to say. Maybe he is that person in X-Force. Could be. I could totally see could that. Um, yeah. Uh, which also brings in like the gene stuff because technically gene is his genetic mother. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm spitballing here. Um, but I do think your point, Mike, about the whole minds being put into other people's body, that is such a Chekhov's gun that at some point oh, yeah, yeah. that has to happen. And it's going to be a like break the series moment where we discover that someone who we think we've been following for mm-hmm. probably this whole time is in fact someone else completely. And it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think it's Xavier because I don't think this works if Xavier is an Xavier. But if it's like someone, maybe it's Beast. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. just, it's out there way too many times thus far for it not to be a critical component. Yeah. I mean, that's also a good yeah, point I- too because like when you read the first, I think it's in the first House of X where like Wolverine is like playing with little kids and gene i'm like wait what this does not make any sense okay gene is i don't know gene does not feel like gene at all or maybe she's a very young like because she's obviously in her marvel girl costume like you know all of these people i think this is another thing that we talked about a lot of people are not acting like themselves in many in many ways so it's i think yeah. To your point, maybe people that, are at different states and where they were meant to, where we don't know where they're at really. Yeah, I maybe that might be a little bit of a stretch. And I, the only reason I say that is because I think with the House of X, Dawn of uh, yeah, the the Hoxpox stuff, I think the way that things were written in general, my biggest gripe with that whole run was so many characters were written in like a weirdly inconsistent way, yeah. like that didn't conform with how we've seen them written over the past like decade or two decades. Yep. But the goal was to just complete this story arc, right? So I, I was able to let a lot of things slide because for one, I was like, maybe Xavier is doing that thing he did with Deadly Genesis where he's kind of just like influencing everybody to get his way. Um, or 
it was just there and written in such a way to basically get us to this point so that people can then reflect on it later. And maybe they were just under this, 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 you know, influence of like, oh my gosh, this could be so great for us that they just decided not to act like themselves. Because there are moments when like, especially when, you know, Magneto is showing around these delegates from different countries, like somebody shows up and just acts like a weird, like servant person. Uh, I think it's like Rachel Gray just like shows up and she's just like, yes, and this is the facility where we are telling people how to do things. It's like, what the, f- this is not Rachel Gray. Like what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Um. So I think there was a lot of character inconsistencies in order to get us to this point. And then everyone reverted back to who they normally were. So we had to kind of like suspend our disbelief of who they are in order to get through Hoxpox to get us to Dawn of X. You know, that, that's, that was my takeaway from it, at least. I, I do think there is something to be said, especially for Jean still wearing her pre-Phoenix costume. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, there's a part of me that's wondering if this is not actually like Hickman specifically signaling to us. Xavier is tweaking these people so they are at the place that he wants them to yes. be. So they are the most malleable for this. There was a period when I was reading Hawks where I was actually convinced that all of the actual core X-Men, we're not seeing any of them, that they're all clones of them. And the actual core X-Men are like being held somewhere in some secret chamber in Krakoa. Because I was just like, I was just like, nobody is behaving the way that they would be behaving. Like none of them. But I don't think I frankly think that's not accurate at this point. I'm like, yep, no, these are the people. Mike makes an excellent point that now they don't have to feel so burdened. There's like this general optimism that they haven't felt in many, many years. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're just literally living their best lives, (laughs) getting a drink at the bar and, you know, (laughs) fucking on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be in a good mood, too. Right. Um, well, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I think we're running out of tape for this episode. Um, I would really love to to keep going with this. Maybe we have to revisit things again. Once we get through X of Swords, maybe we do a revisitation, Ooh, yeah. how we how we feel about X of Swords after this big arc, because I think that would be really fun. Oh, um, but I guess if if just really quick, if you guys could pick, you know, an X-Men story that is your absolute favorite that you would recommend to someone as experts, that's what we're going to call you with a big capital X in front of your name. What's your one go-to X-Men storyline that you just absolutely love and you wish that everybody would read? Uh, Kevin, do you want to go oh, first? No, I have to think on it. You can go. Um, so I'm going to throw it back and say, I actually think the fall of the mutants, the whole story, uh, if you look at both Uncanny, uh, New Mutants and X Factor, which were the books at that time. And you can get a collection on Comixology really easy. Um, mm-hmm. That is super compelling stuff. It is that that's the the era that I started reading. Um, mm-hmm. It is uh, weird 80s because everybody's like um, it's a weird lineup for the team. It's one of my favorites. But the stuff with Doug and the New Mutants on the animators island is so just it's incredibly upsetting. I just reread it recently. Um, it's real serious drama it's like excellent teen drama meets mm-hmm. sci-fi meets you know comic book stuff incredible uh over in uh, x factor you had the original apocalypse storyline and then in uncanny you have the team sacrificing themselves to save the world it is in my opinion classic x-men at their best that's what i'm gonna put out there awesome awesome what about you kevin uh i know i put you on the spot with this one but yeah you gotta come up with some question no i love it it's a great question um 
I would say, and this is a, a it's a it's a major story, but I would say I really like the Phalanx Covenant. I think the Phalanx Covenant is really fun, um, and that's where I fell in love with Emma Frost, honestly. And I think it's a really compelling mm-hmm. story. It's really interesting, and in all the different books. Um, I'm trying to think of another one. I, that would be the one that I I, I haven't re- I haven't read it in a really long time, to be honest with you. But I remember that was one of my favorite stories growing up. I mean, honestly, my one of my favorite arcs is, and I know you didn't like it, but my favorite arc, I loved X-Men Red. I thought it was incredible. I was like, okay. this is, it got me to fall in love with Jean Grey. I really loved the team. I loved getting to see, um, it was Jean, Storm, Gambit, uh, Laura, Honey, uh, Honey Badger, Trinary, um, all this like really interesting, compelling stuff. And I think Cassandra Nova is a great villain. Like I really Absolutely. love yeah. Love all that. Um, that's my favorite recent one. And then you can't go wrong with the good old Joss Whedon astonishing. Like it's if you're wanting to jump yeah. into X-Men in general, that's the book arc that I always tell people to read because it's the most accessible. Gotcha. Well, good. I mean, I, I thank you guys for the for the recommendation. So folks will, you know, find links and stuff like that, put in the show notes. Um, I'm just going to throw it out there. Everyone should read House of X, or excuse me, um, House of M. I just oh, love House yeah. of M. I don't care what anyone says. Love yeah. House of M to death. Um, I'm just a sucker for it. Even, you know, it's it's Bendis, but it's ridiculous, and it's over the top, and it's stupid, but it's perfect. I love it to death. And the um, art's the incredible. Art. And the okay. art's incredible. But, okay, well, so we're going to wrap up here real quick. Uh, Kevin, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, people can find me on Twitter at et Kevin's Mind. Cool. Uh, we'll throw that in the show notes. What about you, Eric? Uh, the best way to follow me is at Great Pop Culture Debate at on Instagram, or just go to the website greatpopculturedebate.com. Please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you find moderately amusing podcasts. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. When you can follow me uh, at Mike Rappin, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you know, and this show and many of our subscriber-only episodes are powered by fans like you on Patreon. So thank you so much if you're a Patreon supporter. If you're not, that's okay. But please consider subscribing so you can get access to all of the exclusive Patreon series that we've done, like our Saga of Saga, where we go through every single episode of Saga as well, or issue of Saga, as well as our Doom Patrol series, our IRCB Movie Club, and more. Um, if you haven't already, please make sure to rate and review our show five stars on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Uh, and join us at our Discord at ircbpodcast.com slash Discord and make sure to tell a friend or two about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander is the greatest person in the world because he edits the show, but he's also just a really good friend. Everyone should go um, say hello to him on the internet. Uh, I want to say thank you to Eric and Kevin for your time today talking about X-Men. I, like I said, we've got to do this again because so many X-Men thoughts. We only focus on Hawksbox today and there's so much more to talk about. I really want to talk about X of Swords once it all gets wrapped up. So until next time, remember that comics are good and so are you. 